This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Hi, I'm Greg Watson and welcome to this week's show of Property Matters, where we talk all things property, whether it's local, regional, and sometimes even international, if we can find something that's interesting, funny, or just news that might be good for you to know about, particularly if you're interested in property, of course, which is why the show is Property Matters. Recording from home is interesting during Level 3, as we are now, and I'm actually reading notes effectively from news articles during this particular broadcast around uh, off, off my iPhone. So <laughs> we'll get into it and we'll start with some local news. With uh, And this says that Manawatu developers get back to work at Alert Level 3. And this is by Paul Mitchell. Manawatu construction sites are busy once again as we move to Level 3 and developers seek to make up for lost time. The lockdown interrupted the region's ongoing construction boom, which saw the Central Economic Development Agency report a record 223 million non-residential consents over the 12 months earlier this year. Wallace Development Manawatu Regional Manager Vanessa Thompson said the timing of the development meant there were minimal delays to the company's $130 million Centennial Park housing development on Centennial Drive in Palmerston North. If it had to come, it was better for the construction industry if it came in winter. Thompson says there's already a lot of leeway in construction project timelines over winter to account for the more frequent rainy days when work couldn't be done. So therefore, the effect of a relatively short lockdown um, is not the end of the world for them. So around 130 sections are planned for the Hokafidu subdivision to be built over three phases. It's quite interesting if you haven't been down the road around Centennial Lagoon, that's Centennial Drive, um, and it's really changed down there. It's worth going to have a look at what's being built. Thomas North developer Brian Green said, while it was a relief to get back to work, he felt the timing of the lockdown ended up being rather awkward for his construction projects. He said that they've had a lot of nice dry days, which would have been great chances to get ahead. But then, And he also says it's really important that work is done during the dry days during this time of year. But nevertheless, we're all in the same situation, and, uh, and that's, that's tricky. But another issue that's actually happening is trying to untangle the supply lines and a backlog of building materials that couldn't be moved between regions in Level 4. For example, if you had materials sitting in Auckland, you couldn't bring it down to Manawatu, and there's going to be high demand for freight and moving services via that backlog. And then there were the financial and paperwork disruptions to clear up, according to Brian Green. Several new houses on his developments were going through the final settlement process when the lockdown hit and had spent weeks in limbo. Before the developer could settle up with the new owner, building code compliance checks and inspections had to be carried out. And these are the sorts of things that couldn't happen during lockdown. He says they've got a number of finished houses where they haven't got paid, which means the builders and suppliers down the trail don't get paid. But the Palms North City Council staff have already restarted inspections and are rescheduling any that were cancelled due to lockdown. Chief Customer Officer Chris Dreiberg, sorry about the pronunciation, 
said that they are working on the backlog and asking for customers to be patient while that's being done. There were actually 46 building consents granted over the two-week lockdown compared to 68 in the two weeks before. So things have slowed a bit, but overall, uh, you know, not too bad and still moving forwards. Let's see if we've got another article here. Oh yes, this, this one from uh, Palmas North News. Mini golf plans for Palmas North Esplanade clear a lease hurdle. So fundraising to build a proposed mini golf course at Palmas North's Victoria Esplanade is set to go ahead now. A land lease stumbling block has been overcome. The Lions Club of Middle Districts plans to spend more than 330000 building the course near the hockey turfs and playground and has resource consent to do so. But the club spokesman Craig Hart said there were potential deal breakers in the City Council's standard lease agreement that could have prompted the Lions to walk away. Faced with a standard arrangement of a five-year lease with a five-year right of renewal, the club asked the City Councillors to make a variation to give them 10 years of security with the prospect of another 10 years. Hart said even more concerning was a clause that gave the council the right to terminate the lease at any time with three months' notice. He said the club could not afford to make the investment in the facility if the council retained the power to pull the plug at any time and had a better offer for the use of the land. The presence of that clause actually made potential sponsors and fund managers nervous and could undermine the club's ability to raise money to build the course at all. This is uh, um, fully funded. The city council is not putting any money into the development. So Hart said there was a risk of the council and city missing out on what could both be a popular family activity and a charitable venture that would put all of its profits back into community services. So it's probably a little bit like one that they have in Fielding, um, where all those donations that's run by volunteers and the donations go back into the, into the uh, charities and, and so forth. So the majority of city councillors who heard the request at Wednesday's virtual council meeting agreed. Mayor Grant Smith said the risk of a Lions Club with 50 years experience of serving the community going rogue was very low. Um, and he said the details about the hours, of course, would be open and the changes to play were all still a bit vague, but he'd prefer the council keep a lever that could pull if things went wrong. So we have to see where that goes there, but um, that should be going ahead um, by the sounds of things, which is uh, good news. Moving on, I alluded to this in the previous article, but uh, this article here by Lawrence Scullery in stuff.co.nz says that builders face shortages all over the place thanks to berserk housing market and Auckland's lockdown. Chip Plasterboard looks to be the next building material in short supply as the industry tries to plan for the traditional busy summer season. For North Island builders, most of their plasterboard is manufactured in Auckland, and at the moment, it's not getting out of the super city because of the COVID-19 alert level 4 restrictions. There is another manufacturing plant in the South Island, but builders there are also worried about the uncertainty of supply because of demand and the ongoing alert levels. Builders are also pre-ordering and stockpiling material, worried that they'll run out. This is putting pressure on supply as well. Stuff recently reported that the insulation supplier Tasman Insulation, owned by Fletcher Building, told its clients its Christchurch warehouse was out of pink bats. It was unable to source more from Auckland where its factory was because of the lockdown. Master Builders New Zealand President Kerry Archer, based in Invercargill, said any kind of insulation, along with a growing list of timber products, were becoming difficult to source. He says we've had a supply chain issue that's been going on for six months now, but it's just getting worse because Auckland is going to be shut. 
until mid-September. There's a lot of manufacturing in Auckland that's not getting out at the moment. Certified Builders Waikato Committee member Peter Brookie said the builders around the country were worried about the Christmas rush. Come February, I wouldn't be surprised if some builders have to wrap their houses because they won't get the material to complete the job. Brookie, who owns Excelsior Residential in Hamilton, said his supply of jib was okay at the moment, but there were long waiting lists for other materials. He says he went to order some James Hardy's cavity battens and got told I can't get any till next year. We've also put a big order in for cedar ages ago, but we're worried about not getting it in time. If I order it now, it won't get here till March. So what's the effect of this? It's pushing dates back on people being able to get into homes. It also puts pressure on building companies where they're selling off plans, or developers are selling off plans at a certain price, but then as the prices go up due to, uh, due to supply and demand, the costs go up. And uh, the builders at this stage, developers, are wearing that cost, but I don't know how long that will go for. They quote J.P. Liebenberg, a Waikato franchisee of Cavalier Homes, and he said supply problems required some honest discussions with clients. It's hard to plan for this stuff. People are expecting work to be finished tomorrow. So I run them through the process, how it's going to work, and a lot of them are really scared to go down that path. Liebenberg said building materials continued to escalate as demand increased. He says every five minutes I get an email saying the price for this material is going up when you've already locked in a contract price for a build for the customer. And then the next person expects to have the same price as what you gave the previous person. But you just have to be honest with them. You don't hide things from them. Otherwise, it's just going to make life harder for you and your clients. So it must be um, really hard going there uh, with that supply chain trying to get uh, things um, you know, getting things done with regards housing um, and that's mirrored an article that was here by Catherine Harris saying rising import and freight costs heap pressure on construction costs and it really just reiterates a, a lot of uh, what I've just been saying um, and well that does say that two-thirds of uh, of the building suppliers Surveyed cited suppliers being their biggest concern and half described substantial increases in prices for the goods themselves. So as a result, 84% of suppliers had already passed on price hikes to the consumer and nearly 80% are expecting to raise their prices further in the next six months. EBOS Managing Director Matthew Duda said it was not uncommon to hear of freight costs jumping at 100%. And that's where uh, it's just proving to be potentially more and more expensive to build. And again, it won't, won't be surprised if builders start writing to contracts that the price that you agree upon at the beginning could alter uh, due to supply and demand. Another uh, local news now. This from Marta Steeman of Stuff. She says, Countdown fast forwards the opening of the $100 million distribution centre in Palmerston North to cater to surging North Island demand. I think it's no surprise that uh, online sales have skyrocketed during level four and level three. And it says here that the supermarket giant Countdown has opened its new $100 million distribution center in Palmerston North three weeks ahead of schedule because of huge lockdown demand. Shoppers have reported shortages of a wide variety of goods in supermarkets since the start of the lockdown. This is the new centre that's out uh, near the airport here. It's the size of four rugby fields at 38,000 square metres, three times the size of the old facility. The company was going to take 
eight weeks to transition from the old to the new one, but has brought that forward by three weeks because of the pressure on the supermarket operation in the North Island. In the last week, Countdown has just sent or sent just under three and a half million cartons of food and groceries from its four distribution centres to its stores around the country, including an extra 100,000 crates of fresh fruit and vegetables, an increase of 25% over the previous week. More than 20,000 online shopping orders had been delivered to priority assistance customers since lockdown started, and a further 4,500 customers had been added to their online service. So the Auckland distribution centres are dealing with incredible demand, but by opening the Palms North early, Countdown will be able to relieve some of that pressure and better service customers around the North Island, particularly with um, some of the restrictions on freight with regards going through different levels. So the Countdown's online shopping services had also come under intense pressure over the last week. Usually about 12% of our sales are online, which in itself is world-leading for an online grocery business. However, this week we've seen more people than ever trying to shop online, and it's fair to say that's been extremely challenging. Now, the new centre had 200 staff, including 70 new team members. And by the September, end of September, it would deliver to 55 stores across the North Island, and when fully operational, would move about 450,000 cartons of food and groceries each week, nearly double the Palmerston North volumes. That's quite an awesome local success story there and uh, creating those jobs as well, which is pretty uh, pretty impressive indeed. So now look at uh, a couple of articles about the market and, and what's happening. This one by Miriam Bell. The number of houses for sale falls to a 14-year low. The number of houses available for sale has dropped to its lowest level since records began 14 years ago, realestate.co.nz says. Property listings website latest figures showed the country had a total of 12,249 houses on the market in August. Housing stock is down by almost 32% on the same time last year, and that was the lowest level the website had recorded. Seven of the 16 regions had record low levels of houses available for sale in August. Uh, Manawatu Wanganui actually wasn't one of them, yet there's still not a heck of a lot to choose from if you're looking to buy a home in this region uh, because supply and demand is still very strong. Realestate.co.nz spokeswoman Vanessa Williams said this trend had been evident for several months and it could be partly a self-fulfilling prophecies. Plenty of factors are at play with our stock shortage, but with reports of sellers unable to find a new home to live in, it's no wonder some are hesitant to list their houses. This contributes to lower stock as it becomes a cycle. The stock shortage had been heightened by fewer new listings during the Level 4 lockdown, of course. William said realestate.co.nz usually had between 300 and 500 new listings per working day in the current market. But when lockdown began, that number dropped to fewer than 150. So those figures are well down on the number of properties available. This hasn't affected house prices. The national average asking price has hit just over 900,000, according to the realestate.co.nz figures. There's an increase of 9.7% on last August, and it's the first time it's gone over 900,000. The average asking prices in all regions increased. The biggest lift was in Coromandel, which was up 39.7% to 1.1 million. The West Coast was up 35% to 414,000. And Manawatu Wanganui up 
and that's really high growth, incredibly high growth in terms of, uh, you know, if you bought a property a few years ago and what it is likely to sell for. Auckland and Otago were down slightly, but again, uh, overall, that's based on listings, which can also skew those figures slightly. And she had another article just recently where she said house prices fall on the regions, but lockdown could grant reprieve. But she talks about the shortage of properties in this article. She says the rate of price increase was down from July and continued the recent slowing trend where growth eased uh, from a peak of 3.1% in April, that's one month's increase, to 2.2% in May, 1.8% in June and July. Bearing in mind, uh, they seem to be still increasing as an overall trend. But all other centres, uh, bar one, they say, which is Hamilton, show signs of slowing markets, but retained quarterly growth rates of more than 4%. So in context, uh, properties are still rising all over the place. Uh, and that's where they're really reporting these days on this on a slowdown compared to what has been very high figures indeed. What will happen after lockdown? I think it's going to probably take, um, speed up again. And here's a couple of things that are coming up with factors that are making things possibly slow down. One of them is possibly the mortgage rates, which are expected to rise rather than fall. And the current LVR settings remained and were tighter than before the initial lockdown. And apart from the prospect of rising mortgage rates and the impact of tighter credit policies, it's important to factor in the weight of worsening housing affordability. As prices rise faster than incomes, the cost of purchasing a house will simply become out of reach for a growing number of would-be buyers, especially as increasing interest rates starts to impact on the amount of money people can borrow. So these pressures had traditionally worked as a headwind against price growth, but areas that have recorded considerable periods of strong price rises could be the first to see a lack of affordability start to pinch. And um, we'll just have to see what happens in, in our region. This story here is something that uh, is dear to my heart because I'm familiar with using a lot of 3D modelling on housing, to show houses, and uh, I know during the lockdown before this one, uh, we sold a house without somebody visiting it, just through using 3D tours and rented out uh, about nine or so. This article by Katie Townsend says, Wellington woman buys a Nelson house in lockdown without ever sitting, setting foot in it. So Wellington woman has spent more than $849,000 on a four-bedroom home in Nelson, despite never setting foot in it. Would you be brave enough to do that? I don't know if I would, but yet it does happen. So she bought the property in Stoke unconditionally at Alert Level 4, having relied on a virtual tour, and says the process was great compared to trying to buy in Wellington, she said. The purchase is a part of an ongoing trend of out-of-town buyers snapping up Nelson properties, drawn by the lifestyle and relative affordability compared to bigger centres. Paul Poppy business partner and sales consultant Brent Sturm said. The Wellington buyer, who did not want to be named, lives with her partner and 17-year-old son and is an anaesthetic, anaesthetic technician. Excuse me. 
She'd moved to Wellington from Rotorua but found the housing market there unaffordable, so the chance to put an offer and negotiate was a relief after losing out in competitive tender processes in the capital. Sometimes she would miss out by up to $300,000. So she said she's fed up with looking at property in Wellington. She said having to pay for building reports before putting in tenders was like competing in an expensive guessing game, she said, and that really genuinely is a problem, of course. After missing out several times, she and her partner decided to look for Nelson as an area they were keen to retire in future. They were able to take a virtual tour of the four-bedroom, two-bathroom house and put in an unconditional offer, not much over the asking price of $849,000, which was accepted, and the whole deal was done in 24 hours. So if you're selling a house uh, at these times, or even renting out a house, having these 3D tours really does make quite a huge difference. She says it was a relief not to have to do the tender process or option again. You're able to do price by negotiation, you know exactly whether you can afford it or whether you can't afford it. So the interesting that uh, it's, it's, it is a way of uh, looking at properties and uh, I know that uh, companies that do have the virtual tours and advertise properties with those 3D models uh, anecdotally do get exceptionally good results from those. And that goes on to another article by Miriam Bell and it says real estate online, the lowdown on virtual tours. Virtual tours and viewings are playing a crucial part in ensuring the real estate business continues during lockdown, but experts say buyers should be wary of relying on them exclusively. So that's interesting after that last article I read. Using virtual technology such as video tours, 3D walkthroughs and drone footage to show home buyers a property was an option before last year's level four lockdown, but the COVID-19 experience has made it more common. New figures from realestate.co.nz showed there had been a noticeable increase in the percentage of listings with video tours since the first level four lockdown last year. 15% of listings featured a video in the period between April 1 last year and August 28 this year. That was up from 8% in the period between November 1, 2018 and March 31st last year. So listings with video tours had increased in every region except the West Coast where there was no change, and seven regions had doubled the number of video listings. Southland had the highest number of video listings with 22% of listings including a video, and that's interesting because uh, Southland is actually quite a good area to invest, so it's quite good that you can have a, a decent look there. Uh, Manawatu Wanganui, there's 17% more properties now have um, video listings. Figures show that video listings have more views than listings without video. Since March of last year, average views per video listings were 950, compared to 596 for listings without a video. And that's where it's something that people are getting used, for. It's, uh, getting used to. Video tours are a useful addition to the, to the agent's toolkit. Because you can market the house during lockdowns and out-of-town buyers. They also allow buyers to see more of the property than photos do. Marketing a property, according to Vanessa Williams of realestate.co.nz, it's about selling a story and tools such as video tours, 3D walkthroughs help with that. And if someone has watched a video on a listing before going to the open home, they're more likely to be a committed buyer. But it tended to be higher-end property listings that used virtual tools in their marketing. So while the number of listings of videos had increased, it was only a small subset of listings that featured 3D walkthroughs and drone footage. The technology will filter down into middle-range listings more and more, but is not ubiquitous across all listings, and it is unlikely to be used on certain property types, but as rundown do-ups. I mean, I'd argue that you're good to do a 3D model on any property because it increases your chances of selling.
and also attracts the people who are keen. Just anecdotally, according to this article, there was more activity and interest than during last year's lockdown. It's partly due to agents having these tools available. So virtual tours actually enable buyers to view a larger number of properties in a shorter amount of time than if visiting properties in person. It also allows them to get a feel for the property in the first instance. So uh, that means that they could immediately rule one out and they haven't wasted travel time and so forth ordinarily. But in these times, of course, we can't travel a lot anyway. For sellers, it's also a more efficient process where time constraints no longer matter because once a virtual tour is set up, people can access it whenever they please. Cuts down the number of people that come to visit a property as well who then, for one reason or another, immediately don't like it. Like, for example, if the lounge is too small and so forth. So that's where virtual tours help just to get quality people through the home. So virtual tours are a good option for many people viewing the property in person gave them the feel of of the property. So uh, what we're finding in, with virtual tours is that people who come to the open homes are already extremely keen because I've had a look at the virtual tour and they're really excited about it. So you might get less people but more quality of people. But some people like to see what the neighbours' properties are like, what the neighbourhood's like and that sort of thing. And so that's why the vast, vast, vast majority of people will use a virtual tour as a sort of like an introduction before doing more research. The virtual technology can show a property in its best light, can also point out things um, through interactiveness that you can't see, for example, levels of insulation and those sorts of things. So generally, property buyers and sellers have embraced the range of virtual options available to them with enthusiasm over lockdown. There has been little let up in auctions and sales. I, I gave a example last week of a number of properties that have been sold off plans at auction, uh, which is interesting, even though uh, they haven't, of course, been built yet. So finally, this last article from News Hub uh, by Priscilla Dickinson, the outlook for house prices once COVID-19 restrictions ease. The house prices have grown exponentially over the last year, making home ownership an impossible target for many Kiwis, the article says. Although an initial bounce in activity coming out of COVID-19 restrictions is expected, it's unlikely house prices will continue to grow at the same rate, experts say. From April 2019 to April 2020, the national house prices grew by average of 0.5% per month, according to CoreLogic. From May to September 2020, after the first Level 4 lockdown ended, the monthly house price growth averaged 0.2%. From October 2020 to May 21, the monthly average growth was 2.3%. So I know that's a lot to take in, but it's basically when, when asking if the level of growth is sustainable over the coming year, CoreLogic Chief Property Economist Kelvin Davidson told NewsHub this time's different. Affordability is much worse than it was prior to the 2020s lockdown. We now have rising mortgage rates not falling. There's almost no chance that LVRs will be relaxed this time, Davidson said. Coming out of the nationwide lockdown in April 2020, interest rates were at all-time low. Banks were offering fixed interest rates at 2.69. Loan-to-value restrictions restricting low deposit lending were temporarily removed for 12 months. But now, in September 2021, the housing market is in a different phase. The interest rates are widely expected to start rising from October the 6th. And government housing measures introduced in March 1 are aimed at curbing property speculation. 
Reserve Bank is proposing tighter LVR restrictions and debt income restrictions and a bid to reduce risky lending. We'll have to see what happens there. Um, again, fundamentally, it's supply and demand. Not enough houses, too many people. Will it keep going up? Yes. What will the bounce back be like? I think it'll be short and uh, amount of activity and then a steady rise from there, possibly a bit slower than it has been. So thanks for listening this week. It's been wonderful having you here on Property Matters. And if you're listening through mpr.nz, Monotony People Radio, and otherwise you can catch us where all good blog and podcasts are found. Thanks for listening. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.